Good morning. Sorry about that. There's so many new people here that I needed to say hello to this morning. It's wonderful to have you all here. Good morning. Welcome. It is a joy to be in the house of the Lord with you all. I am praying that this, um, that this service today would be a blessing to our hearts, that the Lord would be present and that he would speak to us and move in our midst. And so I would like to begin by centering our hearts, fixing our minds on the Lord Jesus and what he has in store for us. So let me share with you from Psalm 96, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3 as we prepare our hearts for worship. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. I'm going to snag verse 4, the verse part there. For great is the Lord. He is worthy, most worthy of our praise. He is so worthy this morning. He is so good. And I know that he is here ready to meet with us and to encourage us and to, be, um, to bless our hearts this morning. So would you pray that we would sense him in this place? Pray with me. Lord God, we are grateful to be in this place. Lord, we know that you are, are here. We know, God, that you are ready to speak to us, to encourage us. God, we know that you will meet us here with exactly what we need from you today. And Lord, I just pray that you would move in a great way among us today. God, help us to not quench your spirit, but help us to be very open to your spirit that is here and already working and will continue to work in our midst. Lord, we love you. We praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness. You are a faithful God and we are your beloved people. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the ways in which you show your love to us and your mercies each and every day. So we are here to lift your name high and to sing praises to your name. And it's in the name of Jesus we all pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.
done for me. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place.
As you remain in the attitude of worship, I invite you to continue in prayer this morning. 
As you prepare your hearts for a moment of prayer, I just want to ask you, have you surrendered it all to Jesus? Whatever it is, that burden that you might be carrying this morning, that thing that you're just holding on to, you're worried about it, it's at the forefront of your mind and your, your attention is focused on it all the time. Whatever that thing or person or relationship or problem that might be, would you be willing to surrender it into the capable hands of Jesus this morning? Lord Jesus, as we come before you humbly this morning, we recognize, Lord, that we carry these incredibly heavy burdens. And Lord, we recognize that it's really difficult to let some of these go into your hands. And so, Lord, I just pray that if there is anyone here that is holding on to a concern, a worry, something that is stressing them out and it's all they can think about, I pray, Lord, that they would feel willing to release that and surrender that to you. Because you are God of the universe. You are the God of all creation. And yet your word tells us that you see us, you know us, and that you are willing to carry these burdens for us and with us, alongside us, so that we don't have to carry them alone we don't have to live under the weight of these things, but we can walk upright freely knowing that these things that consume us and worry us and fill us with fear and anxieties, we know that our God is capable of carrying these things for us. And we can trust you. I can trust you with my children. I can trust you with my family. I can trust you with my marriage. I can trust you with my calling, with my job, with my future, with my children's future. I can trust you with the worries and the concerns of the church. I can trust you in my leadership. I can trust you in my relationships. I can trust you with my money, with my finances. Lord, I can trust you with the things that are worrying me and burdening me at this moment. I just pray, God, that you would meet us here, meet each person right where they are, Help them to know that you see them, you love them, and that you want to be able to take these burdens and carry them so that we can live fully and freely in your love and your grace and your mercy, and we can truly live this life abundantly to the full, to the fullest extent that you have created us and created this life to live. 
thank you, God, for your promises, for your goodness. We thank you that we can trust you and come to you with these things, knowing and trusting that you see us and that you are there in the time of need. We thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that as we open up your word, God, that this would be your word for your people today. I release this message to you. God, I just pray that you would fill me with with your message. Give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear. Help us, Lord, to hear what it is you want to speak to your church, to your people today. We pray these things in the name of King Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. All right. Well, this morning we are going to be continuing our summer sermon series, The Art of Neighboring. And uh, just I say this every week, um, that this series is inspired by a book that is called The Art of Neighboring. It's a book that's been around for quite a few years now, um, and it's just got some great thoughts when it comes to uh, Christians in their own context, in their own neighborhoods, just being open and aware to the opportunities that are around us with our neighbors. The book focuses on the greatest commandment, that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And and as I've said every week, we recognize that that passage is not only speaking about our literal neighbors that we live next door to. We know that that word neighbor is anyone and everyone in need. However, we also recognize that in thinking of that so broadly and so uh, generically that we often miss opportunities that are right in front of us. And I think oftentimes we miss great opportunities with the people who live next to us and we see them day after day and I believe that there are wonderful opportunities there to love our neighbors, to show up for our neighbors, to show Jesus to our neighbors and we just have to be intentional. We have to resist the the urge to let fear consume us and keep us kind of hidden in our homes or hidden in our circles. We have to resist the urge of believing that there's just not enough time, that there's just not enough time in the day and the weeks to to be present, to, to invest in our neighbors. And I just have to tell you this morning, I really see God moving in this series and just in this message over and over again in my life. I don't know if you're seeing that. If you are, just let me know I'm not alone. <laughs> I, I just can't even tell you how much this message is popping up in my everyday life. I can't tell you how much this this overall message of loving our neighbor as ourselves and what that actually looks like today in 2021, I can't tell you how many times this has come up in places like Sunday school where today's message for those folks that were in Sunday school, just get ready because the overlap is just unreal. And I know that normally a pastor probably is aware of the Sunday school curriculum and which texts are being preached which week. I don't pay all that much attention if I'm being completely honest. I just show up and participate. Participate uh, because that's, you know, I've, I'm thinking here, my mind is here. And so when I show up to Sunday school and I'm reminded, oh yeah, we're talking about the church in Thessalonica, and oh yeah, 
here's the message again and again and again, and God just keeps showing up. And so I couldn't help but think this morning, as God was working through Dwight and his faithfulness in Sunday school, that God is affirming this message. And he is affirming this direction. And I really think, church, that we need to lean into this, into where God is taking us. I say that humbly. I don't like to speak definitively for God. I, 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 I don't think I've ever in my life said, God, God said this, or God you know, told me to tell you. I, I try to use that language very carefully and try to navigate that very carefully. But I do see him. I do see him affirming these things, and it's beautiful and comforting, and I just think, thank you, Lord, that this is you. It's all you. And so I, I just, I wasn't planning on saying any of that, but I want to add this one more thing, that, you know, we're having these conversations, and here, I want these to be conversations. Yes, I, I, I am trying to effectively preach and teach what I believe is the truth of God's word. And I, I want you to hear that, and I think it's great, but I hope that you're having conversations with people about what this looks like. I hope that you don't just take my words and just go home and sit on them. I hope that you go and talk to someone in the church about these things and say, hey, what do you think this looks like? Because we had a great conversation in Sunday school today about what this looks like, a great conversation. And so we need to have these tough conversations the church is in a very peculiar time, and we're trying to figure out what the heck we're doing, right? We're just trying to figure out what does it look like to be the church in 2021? It's kind of crazy, and we're just trying to figure it out. And Dwight said, we're kind of like the church in the New Testament. Things are new, and they're kind of scary, but kind of in a good way. And it's like, we have no idea what we're doing, but thank you, God, that you're leading us and helping us. So lean into it. Lean into the tension. If I say something and you're like, oh, I don't like that. That's uncomfortable. I don't like that. Lean into that and converse with someone about it. Call me up and we'll go have coffee and talk about it. Have conversations. Okay. I don't get counted for that. My time starts now. <laughs> All right. I'm going to share this quote with you that's from the book, The Art of Neighboring. And I want you to buckle up and hold on because you might not like it. Okay? They say this if evangelism is your only motive for neighboring, because that's the context, if evangelism is your only motive, you might not be a good neighbor. Did you wince? Ooh, what? Think about that again. Just think about those words. Lean into it, lean into the tension. If evangelism is your only motive, you might not be a good neighbor neighbor. That sounds harsh. I read that and I had to read it a couple of times and I thought, I just don't know what I think about that. And I'm still not 100% sure if I'm being honest. Maybe if I have a conversation with someone, you can help me get there. But I think the overall point that the authors are making is that neighboring, which is what we're talking about, what we're trying to be intentional about doing, neighboring is not to be reduced down to simply an evangelism strategy. It's not to say that, that we won't or shouldn't have an opportunity to share the gospel. I hope and pray that we have an opportunity to share the gospel, that being the love that Jesus has for a lost person, and he finds them, and he saves them, and they are now seen and found and in him. They are one with Christ Jesus for eternity, forever, here and now and forever. 
And that's great. The implications are profound. And so I hope that we have an opportunity to share the gospel. But if that's the only reason we're trying to neighbor, we might be doing it wrong. I don't know. Another way to say this, and you might like this one a lot better. You probably like this quote a lot better. Because they say later on, they say, we don't love our neighbors only to convert them, but we love our neighbors because we are converted. We love because Christ Jesus first loved us. It's about faithfully and consistently showing up for, our, for others, for our neighbors, whoever, and loving them because Jesus did that for me. So I will do that for others. And if and when neighboring becomes only, hear, hear that, only, about the number of people being converted. It's just one more check mark, one more box that I get to check, one more tally that I get to add to my list of converts, then it tends to feel more like high-pressure sales rather than simply sharing authentically the overwhelming and radical love of Jesus, right? Because here's, think about this, God's story is not forced, or at least it should not be forced, It's not something that we should have to shove at someone, right? But instead, the beauty of God's story, the beauty of the gospel is that it can be seen moment by moment, day by day, through how we live, through our relationships, and how we faithfully and lovingly show up without expecting anything in return. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's less about quick fixes and make a decision right now and quick results and behavior modification. I'm not saying that we shouldn't think about those things, but, but instead of feeling like this high-pressure moment, just remember the gospel, the beauty of the gospel is God giving of himself, holding nothing back. Therefore, we give freely of ourselves, and we can invest fully in others holding nothing back. So having said all of that, it gets kind of easier from here. I started off with like the hardcore heavy stuff, and then it just gets progressively easier, I I hope, I think. But having said all that, I I contend that, that we ought to pause frequently and examine our motives as Christians, and examine our motives when we're thinking about the art of neighboring and what it looks like to be a a Christ-like, loving, holy neighbor. I think that since we're talking about this all summer long and it's just really at the forefront of our minds, we should pause frequently and ask ourselves and examine, what are my motives? Why am I doing this? Why am I engaging with my neighbor? So, So imagine you're engaging with your neighbor that lives across the street or the one that lives next door. And as you're engaging with that neighbor, are you doing so in hopes that they'll just come to church? Is that why you're doing it? Is that the sole purpose behind it? Because you're just hoping that it'll be one more bottom in a chair? Right? We live in this tension, and I, hear me, I, I live in this tension of wanting to show and prove how productive we are as a church. And oftentimes, we show how productive and how successful we are. That's measured in numbers. In numbers that we report every single year to our district, we report numbers. And we report 
money, the, the finance numbers, and we report salvations and all of these things. It's all, a lot of it is, is numbers-based, and it's really easy to look at those numbers and say, ooh, we are super successful. We have been really productive. And it's also really easy to look at those numbers and think, oh, man, we're just not hitting it. We're just missing it. What are we doing wrong And it's easy for these things to drive us. And it's easy for these things to be the sole purpose behind our efforts and why we're doing what we're doing. We live in this tension of bigger numbers, more money, better programs. These things will draw people in, right? That's the tension that we live in when we find that 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 typically feels more businessy. And I'm not sure that we should treat the church in that manner. I don't know. What do I know? I'm just thinking out loud. This passage that we're going to read this morning is a passage in which Paul is addressing some motives that are being questioned. So as we think about our motives and why we do what we do, why are we neighboring, why do we want to neighbor well, we can consider this passage and look at Paul, who who is a faithful minister doing what God has called him to do, and he gives us a front row seat to some of the difficulties that come along, along the way with this Ministry. So let me give you a little bit of backstory just before we dive in. And for those of you in Sunday school, we're, you know, we're kind of going back, so just bear with me, okay? So the backstory is, is Paul and Silas, they travel through this, this place called Thessalonica, and they spend some time there. I'm not sure. I read so many conflicting things on just how long they were there. But they spend some time there, and they are teaching, they are preaching, they are showing up, they're sharing the gospel, sharing the love of Jesus Christ, and people are coming out in large numbers to join them. There are, are tons of people that are coming out and that are, that are accepting Jesus as Lord, and they are saved and they are joining the church, and they call themselves Christians, and it's just this beautiful, flourishing, vibrant community. And then after a way too short period of time, I'm sure, Paul and Silas, they have to leave because there are some people who are angry. There are Jews who are angry at what's happening, and they want to do harm to Paul and Silas. They, they're being persecuted for, for their ministry, and so they have to leave but they leave knowing that they're not finished yet. They leave knowing that this is the context that we're in, and if we don't, then, then God's message might possibly stop with us, and we know he's got bigger and better things ahead. But they leave knowing that they're not done yet. They're not done investing in. They're not done checking in and, and being there present with the church in Thessalonica. So now Paul is writing them, and in this first of two letters... He is celebrating the things that God has done. And he is challenging them as they continue to journey as followers of Christ. And within this passage, we get a really good idea of what Paul's motives were and what they weren't. So just after you've had enough time to get really comfy in your seat, I'm going to ask you to stand if you can, if you're able, in honor of God's reading, just to freshen you up, wake you up, okay? Let's read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. 
On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests and knows our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. This is the good and holy word of God this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I love verse 8. Verse 8 is kind of like the highlight key verse of today's passage. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel. We didn't just stop there, but we wanted to do life with you. We wanted to share our lives with you. Paul starts out by talking about the opposition that they faced in the midst of ministering. And, and it's put very lightly here. You've you got to really read it and pay attention to know that it's just been one um, opposition after another. They've been through it. Paul and his companions, they have been through it. They've been in the thick of it. But they are still faithfully showing up and ministering to the church in Thessalonica. And Paul's letter serves many purposes, encouragement and challenging. But he's also trying to correct some misunderstandings. He's trying to clarify a few things that have been said falsely about him. Paul's character was kind of being assassinated, and he had to write to them saying, no, 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 no. You know me. You know us. And then he was trying to encourage this, again, young, vibrant, beautiful faith community, these Christians. And so he tells them, just to kind of keep it fresh in your mind, in a way he says, the appeal that we make to you, it doesn't come from um, impure or it doesn't come from error or impure motives. We're not trying to trick you. In other words, because of these false accusations and these false teachers, Paul had to clarify, I wasn't motivated by personal gain. I had nothing to gain by being with you and sharing life with you and sharing the gospel with you. I had nothing to gain. Paul wasn't in it for material gain or wealth, although he very well and easily could have been, because that makes sense. Pay the pastor, right? I'm all for that. Pay the No, I'm just kidding. But Paul could have easily said, yeah, you should be paying me. But he was even saying, I didn't, that was not a part of my ministry. I wasn't interested in that. He says, I wasn't interested in human praise. Don't praise me. Don't, everything I do points back to God. He only wanted to praise God and to please God and do what, call, what God called him to do. And so he reiterates in a roundabout way. He's saying, we aren't trying to please people, and I identify with that. I am not trying to please people. I'm trying to please God, right? I'm not trying to please people. We want to please God who knows and tests our hearts. We didn't try to flatter you or butter you up with fancy language. We weren't trying to trick you with vague language. He goes on saying, we weren't standoffish or absent, but at the same time, we weren't trying to come across as in your face and a big deal and super important. People are turned off by that. They don't want that. They're not interested in that. That is not authentic. But instead, we cared for you. Oh, I just, I lean into the, the, the passion and the love that Paul writes these words with. We loved you so much that we were delighted, thrilled, to not just share the gospel with you and leave. 
drop it and I'm out. But no, like we wanted to share our lives with you because you have become so dear to us. We loved you dearly. We wanted to give you all of us, all of our hearts, and we did. These were Paul's motives. This is what Paul was about. He was investing in this church and in these people. And he's aiming to distinguish himself from others who had very different motives. He's trying to distinguish himself from others who were not out to to love and to care for others. But Paul is saying, no, I'm trying to communicate the utmost tenderness and love I had for you, comparable to that of a mother. That's some pretty feminine language for Paul to use, right? But that's how much he was trying to get his point across. This is how much I cared for you. There was special, dedicated effort to protect and to provide for every need this church had, even though he was risking his life. I was reading from one commentator. His name is Alastair Roberts, and he says this about this passage. He says, indeed, even though Paul was in a position that would have enabled him to make self-serving demands of the Thessalonians, Paul's actual conduct was in the most startling contrast to such exploitative behavior. Rather than taking advantage of his power in relation to the Thessalonians, Paul and his team not only went to considerable lengths to avoid placing demands upon them, but also gave of themselves in a way that invites the most arresting imagery. And the images that we see in Paul's ministry, think about it. It represents this holy, Christ-like love and longing for the overall well-being of these people. And while others had other intentions in their teachings, they may have been looking for self-serving praise, they may have been looking for wealth, they may have been trying to build themselves up and puff themselves up and and look how great we, we are, Paul looks at them as people who are worthy of so much more than that. He looks at them as as worthy of an investment. He's going to invest himself in them, whatever that looks like. So what about us? What motivates us, church? As Christians who are called to go and share the goodness of God, the gospel of Jesus, what motivates us to do so? What's behind our efforts to reach people? Are we looking for just more tallies to add? Are we looking for more boxes to check? Are we looking for just more members for our church? Let's be honest. Is that what we're looking for? So that we have a bigger church with better ministries? Are we looking for an influx in tithes? Let's be honest. Is that what we're hoping for? Is that what's behind these efforts? Does that make us successful? Don't get me wrong. I need to start like a running list of things that the pastor is not trying to say during this sermon. And one of those things would be that we don't want better numbers. We don't, you know, need any money or want any, even though I'm, I tend to lean towards that. But I'm not saying don't bring people to church. I'm not saying that I don't want our church to grow and thrive. That would be crazy. And I'm not saying that just for the record. But is it just me or, or should these things be a result of a deeply rooted ministry? Should these things be the result of a deeply rooted relationship with others, both individually and corporately as a body? 
These things should never, I think we're, I'm just going to say, I think we're wrong if these things are the driving force behind what we're doing. And I'm here to tell you, people will see right through it. People aren't stupid. They'll see it for what it is, and they won't want any part of it. And I want to say, too, that I think our motives are overall good. I'm not trying to villainize anyone. I think our motives are overall good, but our methods haven't always been the best. For instance, when it comes to evangelism, we've perhaps embraced methods throughout time that make it look more like we're trying to close a sale. I got a sale to close. I got it. And I'm not knocking salespeople. I'm not trying to dismiss the importance of salespeople. It's your job to sell something. Well, obviously, we're going to say, good job, you sold something, because that's, that's what you're paid to do, to sell something. But we're not trying to sell anything, right? It's not our job to sell something. When it comes to the gospel, the best approach hasn't always been to share and pressure a response. And I'm not saying that it's never worked. I'm also not saying that it will never work again. I'm just trying to help us recognize that the world is longing for something different. The world is longing for something that is more rooted. I think the world is longing for something that's more lasting and authentic. Speaking of authentic... This week, our, our life group, we talked a lot about authenticity and how our generation, I'm a millennial, so I'll get on that platform for just a minute, or soapbox. I'm a millennial, and us millennials, we decided that that's what we crave is authenticity. When it comes to a church, I'm not looking for, I'm not interested in your sales pitch, first of all. Like, you lost me when you started to try to sell me something, because I'm not interested in that. I've got, I know what I can buy, I know what the market is, and I'll go buy it if I want to buy it. So I'm not interested in you selling me something. I'm also not interested in your fancy programs and your great coffee, although I love great coffee. I'm not interested in your light show or your concert-like services. This is just me in the church in general, right? I want authenticity. I want a people that I can walk with, laugh with, celebrate with, lament with cry with, share with. I want authenticity. We're looking for authenticity. And we, my generation, we want to authentically live out the gospel. And guess what that might mean? That might mean that as I show up and share with my neighbors and I'm going to love them like Jesus loves them, they may never step foot in my church ever, ever. And that's okay. I'm going to continue to show up and relentlessly love them as Jesus loves them, whether they step foot in my church building or not. Because that's what I'm called to do. It's regardless of what I get in return. Perhaps the world, I'm just asking you to think with me for a moment. Perhaps the world is, is tired of these approaches that take very little effort on the church's part. Right? Because it doesn't take a lot. I, I've shared this recently. It doesn't take a lot of effort to hand someone a pamphlet or, you know, the ABCs of salvation. It doesn't take a lot of effort to hand someone an invitation to the church function. That's easy. And it doesn't require anything from us other than to hand it to them and maybe talk to them for a few painful moments. But I think the world is longing for something that takes a little more rootedness, a little more meaning and effort on our part. 
Tara Beth Leach, who, by the way, just, just in full disclosure, I, I loved and followed Tara Beth before I ever knew about this church or Stu or anybody. That was just a happy bonus. But um, I, I follow her, her teachings and preachings very closely, and she talks about this very idea in her book, Radiant Church. Phenomenal book. I highly encourage you to read it. It's a beautiful gift to the church, this book. And in this book, she talks about how relationships with others, like our neighbors, how these things are not to be seen as a task or a project. She says this, she says, relationships with our neighbors should never be an agenda to accomplish. Rather, the value of friendships is because community is a gift. Friendships are a gift and neighborliness is a gift. True friendships see past differences in beliefs, ideology, and lifestyle choices. Relational evangelism, although well-meaning, has become an agenda and project-driven, and our neighbors have not been fooled. Evangelism must always be born out of love. Friends, I think that people are going to be highly suspicious of a message that doesn't align with what they've seen. In other words, by the time you get to the point where you share the gospel with somebody, and listen, that's always the goal. That's always the point. We always want to get to the place where we can present the love and saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so by the time we get to that point, they should have already seen it within us, right? They should have already seen it within us so that by the time they hear it, they think, oh, I get it now. I get it. They have lived this out. That, that doesn't fall on deaf ears because I've seen this in them. I've seen how transforming and life-changing this is. It's not a, a ploy or a sales pitch. This person actually believes and lives by this, what they're telling me right now. And wow, this person has loved me in this kind of reckless and crazy and radical way. Like I hear this Jesus shown, showed when he died on the cross. Okay, I'm starting to get it now. Do you see what I mean? By the time they hear it, they should have already seen it. And I'm afraid if they haven't seen it, then that moment could possibly feel a little phony and a little authentic, and it could even hinder any future-rooted relationship in the future. See, for Paul, it was always about love. And it was always about tirelessly giving himself to those around him, showing up for them and continuing to disciple them and encourage them, even if he had to do that in a letter through Timothy. He wasn't going to stop showing up for them and he really meant it when he said, I wasn't just here to present you the gospel. I was here to share my life with you. And Paul continues to do that in beautiful ways. So I ask again, what about us? What motivates us? What are your motives? If we embrace neighboring, what is it that's driving us? As you're standing in the driveway talking with a neighbor, what are they sensing in that moment? Do they feel seen? Do they feel heard? Do they feel loved, truly loved? Or do they just feel like, oh, man, this person is just really trying to sell me something I'm not interested in? Or do they think, wow, I feel like a project in this moment. Yikes. What is it that they feel? Also, here's just a little kind of add on to that. If you find yourself standing in the driveway talking to a neighbor, I really hope you're not just doing it because the pastor told you to. This is the challenge this week, and I'm just doing it to check off this week's box. And I'm going to get a gold star when I go back to church, even though that's not true. I don't hand out any gold stars or anything. 
But I don't want you to just stand there. Like, if you're standing there talking to your neighbor, I want you to be doing it because you genuinely love them and care for them. Don't just do it for me. Don't just do it because it's this week's challenge, but do it because, because Jesus would do it, right? Jesus would do it. That's why we do it. I'm almost done. See, the beauty of good neighboring, it's really quite simple, church. The beauty of good neighboring is that it can be simple and genuine, and we don't have to memorize anything. You don't have to memorize some speech that you've carefully crafted together. You don't have to memorize a sales pitch. In fact, those block maps that I've been handing out to you guys, the whole point of this was not for you to like map out your strategic evangelism plan in the neighborhood and like we're gonna go here 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 and we're gonna say this here we're not gonna say this here you know like that's not the point of this the point of this was to just be at the front of your mind so you can see the names and and pray over them and just have it at the front of your mind that this is important and it's worthy of our time that's the point of the block map but the beauty of of good neighboring is that you don't have to have a canned speech in your back pocket don't make your neighbors your project. Make them your friend. Help them to know that they are profoundly loved. The goal is to be faithfully present, to listen to their story, to ask God to lead you to tell your story, to tell God's story, however and whenever that should happen. And I know It'd be so much easier, wouldn't it, if I handed you all a formula? Wouldn't that be easy? That would be so easy. If I just handed you a formula and said, do this, this, and this, this week, and then you can pat yourself on the back and feel like I was a good neighbor. But instead, I'm going to ask you to simply be faithfully present. Be willing to share the gospel always, but go beyond that. Be willing to share your lives no matter what you get or don't get in return. I want your neighbors to come to church. Don't leave and tell people at lunch, my pastor said she doesn't want my neighbors to come to church. She said, don't bring them. I don't want them to come to church. I want your neighbors to come to church. But I want that to be a result of of you faithfully and lovingly showing up and being present in their lives. One more disclaimer, because I don't ever want to limit God. I promise you, if you could peek inside my heart, you would see the crazy ways in which I know that God can move at any moment, even after something's already done. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. And so I don't want to limit God. I'm not saying that God doesn't work or won't work instantaneously, okay? I know he can. If he wants to, and if the moment's right, and if someone's receptive, I believe he will. I know God can and will work instantaneously. But I also know, and I've just seen this in my own life and in in the lives of those around me time and time again, that often God works in the faithful rootedness in our lives as a faith community. And I think if we're honest as the church, we can look back and we can see that our rootedness as a, a church, big C, our rootedness has at times been disrupted. If we're honest, we've been concerned about the fancy things, the frilly things, the programming, the numbers, the things that make us successful. But being faithfully present in the lives of our neighbors can at the very least be a start and can remind us of the messy, hard, 
challenging but oh-so-valuable work of being deeply rooted, motivated by the faithfulness of God, who has shown us what it looks like to be faithful time and time again, even though we've wandered time and time again. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. And I know I've shared a lot from, from several authors this week. I did a lot of reading this week. And so I know I've shared a lot, but I'm going to just ask you to bear with me as I share one more quote with you from this author, Dan White Jr. He says this, he says, the Christendom complex is crumbling. Those are bold words. And rather than bailing on the church, some are reconstituting their commitment to the first seedlings of what made the church peculiar and powerful living the upside-down way of the kingdom. One that cares, listen, one that cares less about spreadsheets and numbers and more about the soil under our fingernails as a result of our messy life together and in our neighborhoods. That's the beauty of the church. When we can bring in these people that are from different walks of life and and live very different lives and it's messy and it's complicated and it's heartbreaking, it's overwhelming, it's challenging, it's defeating, but it is oh so beautiful. Church, I pray and I want to challenge you to pray with me and continue to converse with me on these things. Share your experience and what you think. I pray, though, that that we would be willing to deeply root ourselves in others, regardless of the outcome. Because I promise you, if we are partnering with Jesus, our efforts will never be in vain. I pray that as a church, as a body of believers, as individuals, I pray that we will examine our motives and that we will ask God, to convict us, correct us, reroute us, and to just be people that will faithfully show up in the messy lives of others. And they know that we're not going anywhere. Sorry, we're here to stay. Would you contemplate these things and and pray about these things with me this morning?
Lord Jesus, I pray. I pray, Lord, that we would be falling on our knees, recognizing our overwhelming need for you and for your guidance for your church in this time. Lord, help us when we think that we have all the right answers. Help us when we think that we've got it all figured out. Lord Jesus, humble us and help us when we think that we know exactly what it is we ought to say and do and help us, Lord, to pause in that moment and recognize, no, I need Jesus to show me. I need Jesus to tell me and speak through me because there is so much that we don't have figured out. There are so many answers that we don't hold. There is so much that I don't know and understand. God, I need your help and your guidance. We, the church, we want to make you, King Jesus, the head of our church. Would you move in and through us again in a mighty way? We hunger for the world around us to see you. Our hearts are incredibly burdened and overwhelmed at the lost ones around us who think they've got it all figured out. Would you help us, Lord, to show them another way, the way of King Jesus? Help us, Jesus, to be a church that is deeply rooted in your love and your way of living toward others. Give us an overwhelming burden for our neighbors to be deeply rooted and invested in their lives. We can only do it through your strength and your guidance. We pray all of these things, hopeful in King Jesus. And everyone said, amen and amen. Good news, I have my notes today for announcements, so we're all good. (laughs) There's a lot of them. So just a few announcements before you leave this morning. Um, I just want to challenge you. Be faithfully present in the lives of of your neighbors this week. And and this week we're on week two of our July prayer emphasis. If you're interested in one of these, there um, are some in the foyer for you. And it's just simply each Monday we're trying to pause and set aside some, some special sacred time. And this month it's to walk around our neighborhood in prayer. And this doesn't have to be something weird. You don't have to walk around your neighborhood praying out loud if you want to. That's fine, but you don't have to. Right? You can just, I promise you can walk around your neighborhood and silently pray and it's still the same. So, so this is just to challenge you and encourage you to just pray for your neighbors, pray for opportunities, and that's just kind of the emphasis that we're wanting to focus on this month. So grab one of those if you haven't already. Uh, I want to remind you that today Belleville Hispanic is, is going to be selling some grab-and-go lunches. If you don't have any lunch plans and if you have some cash on you, uh, for $7 each, they're going to be selling what I believe is some kind of fantastic bowl situation with some rice and chicken and avocados and beans and all that stuff. Uh, so I think that's right out here. I'm actually not sure where it's at. It might be right out here. It might be in the kitchen. But um, anyway, so grab that in support of, um, this is going to offset the cost of an evangelist that they're bringing in September, a fantastic lady that's going to do some great uh, ministry work with the Belva Hispanic Church. So let's support them today, okay? 
And you'll have a chance to do that again later on this month. Don't forget VBS. I don't think you could forget at this point, but uh, July 29th and through the 31st, all the details can be found on the website, out in the foyer. We've got um, some stuff out there for you. And, and if you're still interested in helping and haven't kind of sealed the deal with, with Nicole Whitney yet there in the back, you can approach her and see her about how you can help or if you have any questions. All right? Lay Retreat is going to be uh, September 10th through 12th. That's for any um, members. So we've got pastor's retreats. And, and so some districts provide retreats for lay people who just want to connect with other Nazarenes on our district. It's a great time of just connecting with, with other churches, learning from each other on, hey, what is your church doing that's working well? And, and what can we learn from you? And, and here's what we can offer. Um, and it's just a great time of, of relationship building with other Nazarenes that are kind of close to us, but kind of far away at the same time. So if you're interested in that, all the information can be found in the foyer. And finally, we want to continue to remind you to support Restore Network's Back to School Bash, um, and they're, they're, they're gathering some school supplies for that so that they can fill backpacks and hand those out to all the foster kiddos in their uh, group. And so there's, um, there's actually a QR code out there that Jim put together for you. So on, in the foyer, on those two tables, there's a QR code standing up. If you just take your camera, scan it on that QR code, it pulls the website up, the link, and you can order and have it sent directly to Restore. And it's super easy, super convenient, so just wanted to remind you about that. Okay, are you overwhelmed with information? <laughs> okay, if you are, it's okay. We can talk about it later. I invite you to stand with me, brothers and sisters. I pray that you would go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I pray that you would be faithfully present in the lives of others this week. You are dismissed. Have a great day.